Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're at chapter 13, right in the middle of our uh, 2023 Dhammapada review. Uh, this chapter follows an excellent class by Tom um, on self-care and how important it is to uh, recognize that this whole Dhamma practice is about taking care of ourself, but not a fabricated self or an isolated self or a self that uh, is rooted in self-loathing, but rather um, understanding what it means to be a human being, to actually be a self without the need for that self to be anything other than what it is at all time, moment by moment throughout our lives. Um, the Lokavaga um, follows that nicely where it, it contrasts the difference between someone who lives a fabricated existence and existence rooted in ignorance of four noble truths and it paints a very clear picture of those that take to the Dhamma and awaken or gain full human maturity. The Lokavaga. Do not associate with what is offensive. Do not live mindlessly. Abandon fabricated views. Do not dwell in the world. So that last could seem to be a little bit ambiguous unless you take it into the context of that whole um, little paragraph. We... When we're living mindlessly, we can't help but dwell in the world. Our, our thoughts are always focused outwards and what's occurring to me and what might be occurring to me and what I need in this moment. That's called dwelling in the world. We're, we're taking our life cues, not from what we're in control of, our mind, but what is occurring out in a rather chaotic, impermanent world. So what would you rather do? Would you rather take your cues about who you are based on a complete fabrication? something that the Buddha calls like a mirage. We'll get to that. Or do you want to live your life within the framework of your own thinking, the way that you understand yourself, an actual human being, and understand that self in relation to what's occurring outside of that self. And so this follows that uh, Tom's teaching nicely. Do not dwell in the world. Be mindful, not mindless. And now the Buddha tells us how to do that. Be mindful, not mindless. Live with virtue, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right? That's the foundation of ultimately developing right view, which then colors each and every moment of our lives. Live with virtue. The virtuous live happily always. The living death of ignorance does not touch the wise who know the world is like a bubble, like a mirage. Look at the world. It is like a decorated royal chariot. Here, fools wander aimlessly, aimlessly. The wise remain detached. We're not distracted by, by shiny objects coming across our, our view or our experience. We're not um, uh, left wanting, but when we see somebody else driving a beautiful brand new Tesla, for instance, a chariot, you know, a decorated chariot, we don't care about any of those things. We live mindfully, not mindlessly. What's going on out there has nothing to do with my well-being, with my self-care. 
Here, fools wander aimlessly, the wise remain detached. Those who were once mindless and are now mindful illuminate the world like a moon freed from the clouds. Love that line. Those who were once hurtful and are now helpful illuminate the world like the moon freed from clouds. The world is blinded by ignorance. Like birds escaping a net, very few have true insight and develop nibbana, develop awakening, full human maturity. Swans follow, excuse me, <clears throat> swans follow the sun's path. Worldly people hope to pass through the air by psychic powers. So, one of the things that first drew me to Eastern religion, I saw a movie called, I can't remember it, Lost Horizon. It was about uh, a mythical country that was discovered uh, by a, a, a flyer during World War II. He crashed in the Himalayas and he trekked over and came across this valley um, that eventually he found out was populated in, uh, by just wonderfully calm and peaceful people that just enjoyed each and every moment of their lives. Uh, and the head of this community seemed to be a, an ageless man who, in the movie, I think they said he was well over 200 years old. They never said how old he was, played by the great Sam Jaffe. I just got to put that in there. So this movie got me thinking that there was um, ways of living in the world that I could discover magical power, psychic powers. I could fly among the, among the clouds and I could live to be forever. Uh, and there was other psychic powers that were portrayed in this. And this is what my interest was. And modern Buddhism never dissuaded that. It never exactly said, if you awaken, you'll gain these things, except in a definition in some schools about the powers that a human being achieves when they become a Buddha, which is uh, many which were clairvoyance, mystical powers, flying among, among the, the universe and all this stuff, bilocating. And I thought that'd be really cool. And it would also give me an edge up on the people that I was afraid of and thought that I needed an edge up on. Uh, and that theme really colored my modern Buddhist practice until I finally came across the suttas and realized this wasn't about escaping this self that was lacking. You know, why else would I want to have psychic powers if I didn't, if I thought I was complete? And it resolved itself in, in what I often say of Papa, I am what I am. I'm a human being. But now I understand what it means to be a human being, and that changes everything. But think about that. If you didn't know what you are, you're going to have a pretty stressful existence, aren't you? But when you are rooted in understanding of what it means to be a human being, you stop grasping after more, wanting something in this moment or myself to be any different than it is. And as we develop the Dhamma, that, that develops to very subtle levels of recognizing and abandoning eye-making in each and every moment. I'm going to read that again. Sons follow the sun's path. Worldly people hope to pass through the air by psychic powers. The wise overcome Mara, ignorance, and the world. The Mara is always, when used by the Buddha, is always metaphor for ignorance of Four Noble Truths and the stress and suffering, confusion, and distraction that follows. That's Mara. The liar who has violated this one law is scorned forever. Okay. 
this one come on hello camps glad you made it we're in the middle of tonight's class just so you know the liar who has violated this one law is scorned forever there is no evil they will not do Remember when the Buddha taught his son Rahula that Rahula's biggest problem, biggest issue, was lying. And this the Buddha taught to his seven-year-old son. And that was probably the most profound teaching he would ever give his son, even though his son eventually stayed with the Sangha and awakened. And that's like, I, can't, I was trying to read a word, I can't read it because I spelled it wrong. Misers are bound to the world. Fools scoff at generosity. The wise share freely. This alone brings lasting happiness. Better than being sovereign over the entire earth and the heavens is the completion of the Eightfold Path. Today's teaching. Pretty good, right? What do you think, Jane? You caught me off guard there, John. I, that's what I figured. <laughs> no, um, I like this one where it said the fools wander aimlessly in the world while the wise, you know, they remain detached. Yeah. And I like what you said earlier about, um, you know, you should take your cues from what's going on in your own mind rather than what's going on in the world. So yeah. makes sense. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for pointing that out too. That is so important. Self-care really is taking care of my mind, isn't it? But in, in, a, in a structured way, not, not in a selfish way, such as uh, an alcoholic might say to, to, for me to take care of my mind tonight, I got to go buy a bottle. Or somebody who's distracted by social media might spend the evening in social media as their compensation. And, and the endless list of what human beings do to ignore Four Noble Truths, which is another way of saying ignoring their own mind because it's within our minds that these four truths reside. All we have to do is uncover them and live within them. Right, Brian? Yes, sir. Um, you reminded me of the TV show when I was a kid, The Great American Hero, and that guy was trying to fly and he was terrible at it. And I just remember wanting to fly. It's just this just immature worldview that the, the Buddha's counseling against, right? That, you know... It's it's craving for yep. for existence that that isn't what's actually occurring, and the greed and the aversion and the delusion that followed through through that line of thinking and the just how harmful that is, right? And it just it takes time to, and it takes right view to shed those wrong views. Yep. Uh, so I yeah again this is these are just such great little metaphors throughout the Dhammapada. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. A, a craving is, it's the whole enchilada, isn't it? Because craving, whenever it arises, is always a future focus, but tinged by the past, isn't it? Because for me to want more of whatever it might be, I've already had to experience something that I thought was less than. And it could, be, it could have been the, you know, the biggest pile of gold. But now that I have it, 
I need a bigger pile of gold, don't I? If that's what I'm identifying myself with. So there's dukkha in each and every moment of our human life. What we can do, what the Buddha teaches, what we teach here is to understand the dukkha that's present here, right here and right yeah. now. The, the trap Sorry, that's the trap of sensuality, right? The, the more you that's get, it. the more you want, and you at some point that becomes neurotic. Yeah, well, oftentimes it does. Even, I mean, there's, you know, most human beings live with milder forms of neuroses that are never even looked at just because they fit in the world, you know, the world is neurotic. Right. But we can extricate ourselves from that neuroses by simply realizing what it means to be a human being. This is what the Buddha taught. Stop craving, stop wanting yourself or anything in the world to be any different because it can't be. You know, nothing in the world can be different than it is. It might change in the future, but right here, right now, this is what's occurring. And it really is a, a, a true insanity for me to want what has already occurred, even if it's in just this past moment. If I want it to be different, I've lost my mind. Right? Does everybody follow that or agree? Well, you don't have to agree. I mean, you can disagree. John, I'll just, throw you out of the song. It's just the continued teaching on impermanence. Yeah, I was that, just going to say, Kandana understood I, that. It's not always I want more or I want it to go away. I, I want the continuation of what feels satisfying yeah. or I want this unsatisfying moment to go away. And yes. that childlike denial of impermanence, it's not always a bigger pot of gold. It's uh, I, I want that good feeling to continue and because I insist on it. Yeah, I feel unsatisfied. That's that's at the baseline what dukkha is. Yeah, you know that lowest level. Everyone can grasp the the extremes of it, but it's that each moment that we just want it to continue. Yeah, and it can't, of course. Yeah, thank you. It, 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 David's referring to just the mundane aspects of life, and you're right. It could be something like somebody looked at me. I wanted them to smile longer at me, or something like that that I took personally. But even that is an aspect of dukkha because of the way that I was thinking about it, isn't it? I needed this person or this my perception of this person to be any different or, or different than what is occurring. And it ruins the moment that, say, you wanted that moment of being at Laura's concert to continue. I've ruined the very moment that it was. Yeah. And I just can't let it be what it, what it is. Yeah. So... That's, a, that's really a good, a good example of that, too, because I stood up hoping to get more out of them and they wouldn't sing anymore. Just kidding. Laura. Laura, you have the opposite. Oh, I want the people to stop singing. <laughs> no, but yeah, it, it, really, it was a wonderful concert. And if you can make it, please join us. But um, so we're talking here about very, very subtle levels of disappointment or dukkha, aren't we? But it's important to recognize it as more. It, it's more than mundane things in life that distract us rather than waking up and finding out there wasn't a pot of gold outside my door. That's that's kind of unexpected, right? Now it's your really nice, but, um, but it really is the mundane moment by moment things, anything, anything that we want to be different than it is as it's occurring or as we think it might be. It's a good idea to remind ourselves that we've lost our mind as far as that's concerned. 
and to pull ourselves back from that grasping after. And we have the perfect tool for doing that. We have jhana meditation that we can always use. Hopefully we're using it twice a day in the structure that we present, but also when needed. And we also have the eightfold path in which to frame this view of what's occurring, which always resolves and this is not me, this is not mine. This is not what I am. Right, Mr. or Mrs. Kemp, who would like to speak up? Well, I agree with uh, everything everybody said, and especially what, John, you just related to back to John of meditation. And that is the link and the lifeline, as it were, um, because it, it's, it's, I find it to be almost a constant, um, a constant challenge not to associate with what is offensive and by associate, I take that to mean associate what you think of as yourself. Yes. With that which is mindless, that which is fabricated and dwelling in the world. And from moment to moment, that is often, I find, a real difficult challenge to function and at the same time not become overwhelmed and absorbed in that. And uh, I find myself snatching five minutes often during the day just to remind myself to, that, uh, you know, this is not me. This is not mine. This is not who I am. That's a great practice, Jeff, and that it, it shows a deepening concentration or you wouldn't be able to do that. Right. I mean, that's. That's why we use jhana to deepen concentration. So then when we're off our cushion and our minds start going, we can reel it back in just like that with these very skillful tools. And so remain, um, remain with a calm and peaceful mind despite what is occurring. And again, that's full human maturity. Thank you. Deborah. Thank you. Uh, good evening, everybody. Uh, sorry, we were late. Yeah, you um, made it. <laughs> had a school function I had to go to. Um, although I've listened to, I think, two different um, suttas on this topic since Saturday, um, noble silence, my brain is working. <laughs> I'm glad you joined us, Deborah. Hello, Julia. Hello. Um, thank you for the teaching. Uh, David, also what you said was wonderful. And um, I'm going to take noble silence because I'm confused. <laughs> you sure you want to take noble silence if you're confused? Yeah, like, I mean, I mean, I'll talk. It's just, I understand the things are clicking what you guys are saying, but I feel like I'm at a point in my life where I feel like doing nothing is not enough. <laughs> um, I, I know, I know you a little bit, Julia. So if I could um, call on that, when I say you don't do nothing, yeah. how's that for English? <laughs> You're, you're always, well, you're not always, you're, I would say you're skillfully involved in your life where you're, 
I think you've developed a pretty skillful balance between work and um, the rest of your life. And you're not so focused on just your career. You're realizing that even at your tender age, if I could, that there's more to life than just working and um, achieving things. You're also developing a way of living in the world that allows for, for circumspection and self-reflection and calm. Am I putting words in your mouth or am I characterizing you accurately? No, that's, it's, um, no, that was pretty accurate. I, uh, I don't want to get too personal on here, but, um, you don't have to. Yeah. But, um, I was working a lot. Right. And then I didn't like it. <laughs> I didn't like working like a maniac. So then I calmed it down and I work about half the time now. And um, now I can do really whatever I want on my free time because I have a lot of free time. And then it just feels like basically I'm basically involving myself in the outside world on what you began this sutta with. Like comparing. It's the comparing. Yeah. And that that's another aspect of eye making, isn't it? If you're comparing yourself either to a to a, a conceptual situation or what what another person or a group of people are doing or achieving that you should be because they're doing it, you should be doing the same things where what the Dhamma teaches us is radical acceptance of who and what we are in this moment. And so you are naturally inclined to some periods of, of um, solitude and quiet, but you haven't had a lot of that in your life. And I would say that it's just a matter of you getting used to it and, which is another way of saying you continue with Dhamma practice and you learn to accept um, gracefully all aspects of your life. So even when you're doing nothing, is it can be looked at as solitude. It's something good, right? Yeah, it is peaceful. Yeah. Once I tell myself, oh, this is actually really peaceful, then it's instantly <laughs> peaceful. <laughs> yeah. Well, but again, you, in the beginning, we have to let ourselves know this is what we're after. I mean, come and see for yourself. You have to be aware enough and frame your, your thinking has to be framed correctly, framed by the Eightfold Path to recognize the value of being at common peace in this present moment with nothing going on, with nothing going on. Because we also know that in the next moment, something's going to go on. That's just human life. We don't have to manufacture life for ourselves. It will occur no matter what we do. But the Dhamma can prepare us for each moment in life so that our response is at the highest, most skillful level as framed by the Eightfold Path, not necessarily what the world might expect, what our friends, our parents, you know, our spouse, whatever it might be, our dog. We live within the framework of the Eightfold Path because right view is right view. And in this moment, there's nothing going on. So I'm at calm and at peace because I don't need to do anything else. And you're getting there, Julia, right? I mean, I think you would, you would agree with that. Yes, I am. Thanks, Yay. John. Thanks, Thank everybody. It took a lot of time. <laughs> no, you didn't. I pulled it out of you. I'm glad I did. Thank you, Julia. Laura, can I put you on camera? Sure. Here's Laura.
Thank you. Yeah, I was thinking about this sutta and the first paragraph when you were talking about, um, you know, dwelling in the world. And it's interesting how you can be in a heightened state of concentration, but be mindless, like a mindless state of concentration, you know, like in our, if we're working or studying and it's accompanied by agitation or kind of extraneous things, it detracts from it, like any feelings about the future or past, anxiety. And while sometimes you're so busy, you don't think that there's any time for, you know, meditation. Um, there, al there always is. And that creating that space, you know, because I noticed that on the days where I don't, it's like, oh, well, I'm just going to skip it today and study. Oh, I'm just going to skip it today and study. But it doesn't really, you know, you definitely notice when you don't create that space. I like how Nina is always reminding us to create that space, you know, for meditation and every day, even if it seems like you have a really busy schedule, you have, you always really have time for it. It's just where you make the time. Would you say it again? I didn't quite get no, it. No, I'm not going to say it again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I know, no, I don't, but I notice, I see why you stress the the practice twice a day. It's not just that I'm a pain in the ass. It's right, it's not because you're just a pain in the ass. Well, that too. <laughs> <laughs> but there, you, you definitely notice a huge difference. And while it might seem like, you know, it's you don't have time for it you you do so. <laughs> thanks for the reminder Can you say that again please no <laughs> thank you <Laura. laughs> i'm done i'm a teacher Rob. <laughs> would you say it again <laughs> no. No. Don't yeah I, I was thinking of, of the times when people have asked me you know what do you get out of all this you know nothing what are you after? You know? And then when I say, well, frankly, um, a life of contentment, mm -hmm. you get a blank stare. <laughs> People try to imagine. Yeah, <laughs> it's right. all that for what? Yeah. Contentment? Yeah. You, know? you can get that out of a box of chocolates. Yeah. And, you know, and then you, you try and point out to them, you know, you know, take a look at your life and see how much time you spend in discontent. Yeah. You know, just second to second, minute to minute, you know. You know, starting with the weather, you know. It's <laughs> never freaking good enough. You know, it could always be a little better, you know, or it's gonna end soon, or <laughs> God, yesterday was horrible. Um, and you know, oh, and my family, oh Jesus, but you know, <laughs> don't get me started there. Now I'm walking the door. It's this and it's that. Um, but it's so never ending, and it's like second to second with this, 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 okay. you know, this dribbling of, of discontent yeah. just goes on and on in life. Yeah. And you know, once you finally get a bit of a concentration and you start seeing that, you know, once you're over the over the 
disgust and panic and oh my god i wasted my whole life doing this stuff then you realize yeah i, I can actually get out of this and at yeah. that point it's you know how old i am doesn't matter anymore yeah you're right i just kept thinking of jiddu krishnamurti's famous phrase that yeah. He always said, look at the life you're living. But he meant it at, a, at such a, not just you know, a cursory glance. Really, look, mm -hmm. he didn't, the, the, the only problem with Krishnamurti, I think, and I'm getting a little bit off topic, is he didn't know how to tell people how to get to that point mm -hmm. where they could dispassionately look at the life they're living. Did, did he realize himself? I, oh, I think he did. I think, I just, just quickly, I think Krishnamurti was a so-called awakened human being, meaning, meaning that he gained full human maturity. If you read his books, it's kind of obvious. But what he was lacking was the, what was so brilliant about Siddhartha Gautama, a way to teach others how to achieve that same quality of mind. Mm -hmm. Krishnamurti either couldn't or wouldn't do it. Um, you also had, he had the brilliance of insight, but yeah, he, he couldn't. He, he couldn't. All he could tell, you know, all he could do was was what he what he said. Like, look it, at the life you're living. Yeah. You know, look at this situation. Yeah. But there was never. Um, this is what you do. Yeah, there was no no path, no eightfold yeah. path, and that's although what, he got asked all the time, what do I do? Yeah, well, they, they, he started schools all over the world. There's still schools in England, um, maybe other places too, um, that are based on Krishnamurti's teachings. And I mean, I, if you're going to study somebody besides us, <laughs> study Krishnamurti. You know, it's, or, I mean, it's, it's okay to read them too. It's a very interesting man. And the other thing is, it doesn't, you said something, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when you awaken in your life, whether it's approaching old age in a, you know, in, a, in our sixties or seventies, because what's significant is not that it took 60 years. What's significant is it took what it took and here I am, you know? So again, the, the past doesn't matter. The future doesn't matter. Um, what does matter is this present moment. And at any time that you can be fully in this present moment, now you're alive. Now you're living a human life. You've overcome the death of ignorance of Four Noble Truths by understanding one simple thing. Dukkha occurs and Dukkha occurs in each and every moment of our lives. But it doesn't define us, does it? Here's Kevin, Dhamma teacher Kevin. No, thanks for everybody's contributions. Uh, made me think of the fire discourse a little bit. You know, the world is a flame. It's almost like we could add fabricated world is a flame. Yeah. If you're if you're living, you know, to have to be sovereign over that entire world, that's that's going to be tough in one life. Yeah. <laughs> Impermanence is going to belie every moment. But if you're able to be sovereign over your own mind and your own thinking and noticing yourself fabricate. And notice your distraction then you got a chance at some contentment you know you have life as life occurs you have these auspicious moments of yeah, the day was pretty good i don't know i didn't do much but it was a good day you know mm -hmm. to, to the point we're bringing up it wasn't it doesn't have to be extraordinary to, to you know you can, you can still maintain calm in a, yeah. in a, in a normal day <laughs> Mm -hmm. That's as Jeff says, we train only for calm. Most of your life is normal days. So it's, it's good to get familiar with that. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, excellently said. I mean, it, it's um, contentment in the mundane, right? It's, it's, 
Yeah. That's a subtle thing. That's a subtlety that most people miss their entire life over, right? Well, what is what is what might be called super mundane are the exaggerated events that are always impermanent. And they're the, those it's those super mundane events, and I'll just coined a new word, um, that we tend to grasp after. It's the it's the um, the decorated chariot, if you will, that we want for me. And I just again, I'm I'm agitated because I want something, and I think I need that decorated chariot because I'm not good enough without it. You know, and I need people to see me riding around in a decorated chariot because I'm not good enough otherwise. Mm-hmm. I'm not good in my '68 Dodge Dart that I had once. And I didn't think I was good enough to drive, but I did. We're playing on a Monday once in a while instead of every week at a yeah. fancy club, right? Yep. And I drive when I drive, but I drive, you know, that's it. I don't, I don't have the fancy tags. I don't have the fancy yep. associations, but I can play with anybody anytime, anywhere, you know, it's mm-hmm. called upon. So it's, it's cool. Like, And the, even further than that, in this moment, in that, in, I know that I'm in complete control of my mind. Right. That is liberation, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, what else would there be, right? We don't realize that. We're always taught from the minute we're born, it's just the world we live in, that our satisfaction lies outside of ourselves. Or in my case, I was brought up in a certain household that said that I get my reward after this life. This is kind of just like supposed to be suffering, but you know, you'll get your if you just do some good things, you'll get a reward after that. That's so defeating, isn't it? And I don't believe that it's true. I think that we're here to live a human life, which means to be present for this moment and understand that do good tinges every moment of our lives. That doesn't mean that every moment of our life is stressful. It does mean that there's the possibility for me to get distracted unless I'm in control of my mind. And so a well-controlled, a well-concentrated mind is a liberated mind because it doesn't grasp after anything to define itself. Pretty good like deal. Thank you, Kevin. The process of awakening is still the most ordinary thing we can do, right? Say that again. I was... um, you've said before, you've reminded us that awakening is like the most ordinary thing a human being can do. It's not like you always remind us it's not this special yeah. process in a way. It's just, it is completely ordinary, but it's getting really getting in touch with that and shedding all this fabricated stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's finally going to be normal. (laughs) Yeah. It's only just what your your mother always wanted you to be. Yeah, exactly. It's only extraordinary for people that for one reason or another don't aren't able to develop it. But I think we all agree that what we're becoming is ordinary human beings. We're we might be different than a lot of the way other people live their lives. But that doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean we're better or worse. You know, that really has no meaning because what is that? That's falling into comparison. So, and Siddhartha went through this up upon his awakening thinking, is he going to be comfortable being the only so-called in his mind, he didn't use the word, but the, the only person that understands. And he struggled with, with that. Can he just live calmly and peacefully the rest of his life being the one in his own mind? And at first, he thought that if he got up off his cushion and started teaching the Dhamma as he knew it, 
that that was going to be vexing. It was going to be troublesome for him because of all the people that didn't want to hear what he had to say. But then he realized after a couple of weeks of circumspection that if there's just a few people with just a speck of dust in their eyes, then I should get up off my cushion and go teach. And that's what started him wandering around northern India and southern Nepal. Again, just a little bit off topic, but I think one of the most incredible truths is that Siddhartha Gautama never left a 400 square foot mile square, am I saying that right? 400 square mile area. And yet his influence is all over the globe and lasting for at least 2,600 years. It's astonishing, but maybe I should, maybe it shouldn't be astonishing to me because it is so ordinary, isn't it? Thank you. David. There you go. You talk about this practice and why we developed this jhana meditation. And it's preparing you for that one moment, that moment of contact. That's all this is. So it's a not a great product, not a great marketing thing. This one little moment, each moment, and it prepares you to have that mindfulness to understand that there's nothing that you're doing to influence that moment. It's yeah. going to happen, good, bad, and different. Yeah. You're there. And that's the calm that Jim talks about. Because if you're present for it, there's no surprise about it. Yeah. And that's what the opportunity, I uh, uh, love that you introduced the word. It's an opportunity to be able to get control of your mind to a point where that point of contact at that moment is under control. Under control mm -hmm. and always pleasant, no matter what it is, and because you're there for it. You're there for it. Yeah. So it's, it's not extraordinary, but it's this muscle you have to work. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. It's like, you, know, you have to exercise it. This conditioned mind has to be changed to this calm so you can see it. And if you can't see it, you're going to, you know, be a 65 year old guy who doesn't understand what happened to him. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, you just, the way you said that, I kind of hit home. I couldn't imagine. It's weird. I really like, sometimes you can be like calm with the anxiety still present, at least I've noticed. Like, a, Jen can speak to this much better than I can, but she was saying like something along those lines um, after she taught several weeks back. Like it's okay with this practice of it's not like oh i'm taking a breath oh magically my anxiety is gone no it doesn't work that way yeah. it's, it's like for me it could be chronic and it's still there but it's like i can still be calm and not like reactive to it like yes feelings yeah. are oh i still feel it in my body let me just take another breath oh it's still kind of there but at least you know my dad and i talk about this it's like we can still be present with it and in a state of like you know, not just bouncing off the walls or whatever. Yeah, yeah. that's the fourth foundation of mindfulness. Right. Being at peace with the less than peaceful mind. Awareness. That's... Yeah. 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 So, in, in the midst of anything, any, I mean, the most horrible thing you can imagine, or... we yeah. can, we can, and and will maintain a calm and peaceful mind. It doesn't mean that 
when we see horrific things, we won't be horrified by it, but we won't need for these horrific things to be different. Mm -hmm. Because guess what? As a consequence of having a human life, horrific things will occur occasionally. Yeah. Not often, you know, not often. And when we look, I, you know, I talk about the 99 and one, the Buddha could as nearly exactly describe the problem as there is distraction as saying there is dukkha, because it is the preoccupation with dukkha that we lose our minds and lose our lives over, wanting something to be different. But understanding dukkha, again, the, the Buddha taught the Dhamma for that one thing, to understand dukkha, but not just the def a, a dictionary definition of the word, but understand it at our individual most profound level to recognize it. Yes, this is dukkha, but I don't have to react to it. And now I'm living in the 99%, allowing the 1% to be as it is. And when it occurs, I'm aware of it. And I take a breath and I'm back in the 99, no matter what's occurring. And that's what we're talking about. It's, and it is true liberation, but we have to do the work. And that comes back to, it's for those with just a speck of dust in their eye. You know, so. And it does address the 1% because yeah. it allows you to help who's in need and help the more disadvantaged. But it lets you do it in a way where you don't have to be angry or have a villain involved. Yeah. So why can't you be ambitious? Why can't you be of, of service, but without any need to be just of service? Yeah, mm -hmm. like the yeah. moon peeking out from behind clouds. Yeah. You know, it's just like that. And so your liberated state in the world is like that. And the, so the moon, when the moon clears from clouds, it doesn't come, come down from the heavens and tap us on the shoulder and say, wait a minute, take a look, I'm out. It just appears from behind the clouds and it changes our perspective and our perception of what's occurring, doesn't it? So My mind still, has now cleared. So can you still be like what Dave was saying? Can you still have a strong like and be goal oriented and ambitious in this practice, but without like saying your career, or your studies, whatever, but still not have that. We talk about letting go of that acquisition and an interest that you might pursue that could also be a what you do for a living is wonderful you know, it, it's okay to it's okay to make money in the dark. It's okay to make a lot of money, right. as long as you're not distracted by making it or keeping it or for it, whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing there's nothing in human life that the Dhamma precludes, as long as right speech, right action, right you're livelihood are made. Hurting others, right? And then, right. yeah, and you know, uh, Anatha Pandika comes to mind. You know, he was a wealthy benefactor that who kept making money and so was able to support the Buddha through 45 years. And a, a lot of the reason why we're here is because of people like Anapa Pandika, you know? So yeah, and ambition can seem tricky. And I've been getting a lot of questions lately from, I guess people are understanding. It can seem like we shouldn't have ambition because isn't that eye making? It's only eye making if the ambition is to elevate myself. Like once I get there, once I become president of the company, then I can have all those SOPs doing what I want, rather than I want to become president of the company 
because you realize that you can manage in a way that's going to be beneficial for people mm. and inspiring for people. Right. And even before I came to the Dhamma, I tried to do that in my business. But, you know, again, outside of Dhamma, just treating people fairly like human beings, paying them well, taking time to train them, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, but you could say that that was a, for perfectly selfish reasons. And it was. You know, I, that was what I thought would be the best way to run a business. Yeah. You and, saw it because you know it's an effective way to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it works. But it didn't work because I had something special. It worked because I was treating people like human beings, period. Nothing, nothing beyond that. And so as we developed the Dhamma in whatever areas we're working in or whatever um, our focus might be, right speech, right action, right livelihood, remain harmless to ourselves and others. And you will always be like a moon clearing from behind a cloud. You always will be because you'll be a true inspiration to other people that, that will at least be inspired by the way you're living your life, even if they're not interested in the Dhamma. You know, look at the life you're living. Look at the life you're living. What a wonderful class. Let me get the spotlight back on me because I am so cute. I make it. I make it. Saber blue sweater on tonight. Big blue, I call him. Goes <laughs> all the neck breaks. What is this blue? Light and dark. Con- contrasting is just why I have this on. I have a collar for every every night. Well, uh, I got you one of those royal like Renaissance things. <laughs> the ruffle. The ruffle. Yeah, I like the ascot. Yeah, exactly. That was a great. Yeah, Queen Anne. Yeah, that and a big Tibetan Buddhist hat. That'd be awesome. <laughs> does, does anybody have any questions before we uh, finish with Meta? Yeah, I'll remind you all. I think you all know about the retreat. I think everybody on screen is coming. Um, yeah, I'll put the info on Laura's um, concert. Um, and I, you know, I hope all of you can come, including Brian and the Kemp's. No, just, just kidding. Where did the Kemp's uh, go? Where did Jeff and they're, they're only in North Dakota. I don't know why they can't come oh, to the concert. North Dakota. Wow. <laughs> it's almost the end of sledding season. Yeah. Go visit them. So I, I'll put, I'll send an email out on that, you know, just for those that can make us. But it really, we had a wonderful time. It really was one of the real peak experiences in my life. It was just so beautiful. And then the best part was dinner too. Yeah, <laughs> the yeah, yeah, noodles. All right. Take a moment to become mindful of your in breath and your out breath, and let that mindfulness mm-hmm. unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta, describing an awakened human being. This is what is done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. They are able and upright straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied. They remain unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways. They are peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. They do not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. They are always mindful that all beings be at ease Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, they are always mindful to not deceive another or despise any being 
in any state. They abandon anger and ill will with ease, never wishing harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart, the wise disciple cherishes all living beings. They radiate kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, they maintain refined mindfulness. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, abandons ignorance of four noble truths. That's tonight's class for tonight. Thank you all. Thank you, John. See you, Jane. Good night. Thank Good night, you. Bye. See you all. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.